Professor D.S. Popowicz, March 2021. Beyond Excavation, Processul, Post-Processul, and 21st Century Archaeology. Historically, archaeologists debated whether or not archaeology could be considered a science that provides objective facts or if it was an interpretative social science. For example, excavation and analysis of artifacts led some archaeologists to believe that the scientific method could be applied to archaeological investigation and, and render objective facts about ancient societies. This approach to archaeological investigation is called processualism. In contrast to processual archaeology, a critical approach emerged in the late 1970s and early 1980s. Rather than assume that objective statements could be offered, they argued that archaeology was based on interpretations and all archaeological investigations are influenced by the archaeologist conducting the investigation. This is approach is referred to as post-processualism. While interpretation and bias are factors that any good scientist considers when conducting research, recent developments in archaeology often remove the interpretative aspect of the field. For example, in my anthropology classes, I ask my students to participate in an ongoing discussion about a particular artifact. I ask my students to examine the image below, identify what it is, and post their answers to the discussion board. In this exercise, you can imagine that students struggle because they do not have enough information, and that's good because it teaches about context and associated artifacts. Once students have posted their answers, and have discussed them among themselves, I point out that they are right to be frustrated and provide further information. This typically happens when a student posts, there isn't enough information here for me to make a proper conclusion. With that said, I post the image below and ask them to continue with their analysis. Analysis Students provide a variety of conclusions and descriptions and often begin to consider function. Keeping this in mind, the object can be described as a pottery fragment, earthenware, with a number of holes in it. Reconstructed, the earthenware looks like a sieve, but again, a sieve could have multiple functions, and conclusions about its use are only interpretative and subjective. Without further evidence, this example illustrates that on one level, archaeology can be interpretative, and post-processualism is partially correct. To be sure, post-processualism claimed that we can never know how an object was used or what its meaning was because we weren't there, and we can only offer interpretations, the objective truth can't be identified. In the case of the earthenware sieve, post-processualism was proved wrong because science has allowed archaeology to go beyond what can be readily observed and analyze the object at the chemical level. Eventually, I explained to my students, that stable isotope analysis was used to assess the pottery. This technique revealed milk lipids, fats, that were discovered embedded in the earthenware. As such, because archaeologists were able to date the pottery to approximately 7,500 yv, and identify the substance that it contained, they were able to conclude that the container was used to make cheese or yogurt, and this is important because it sheds light on when the milk revolution began. Here processualism won the debate, objective facts can be discovered, especially with advances in chemistry and other allied sciences. Bioarchaeology and Disease Historically, bioarchaeologists faced the same issue that archaeologists did, but with respect to skeletal remains. For example, they observed bones riddled with disease, but it was difficult to comment on what disease actually afflicted the individuals in question. Advances in human osteology, paleothology, chemistry, radiology, histology, etc., have given bioarchaeologists the tools to comment on the skeletal remains they find and the issues that affected the civilizations that they lived in or interacted with. In doing so, insight has been provided into the origins and spread of disease in ancient times such as leprosy, malaria, syphilis, and the bubonic plague to name a few. Leprosy Leprosy or Hansen's disease has served, historically, 
as a powerful mechanism to maintain social order. Not only have stigmatized lepers served as reminders of the consequences of immorality, but they have been feared since ancient times. In addition to the above, from a socio-cultural perspective, analyzes highlight the construction of disease, stigma, and oppression. To be sure, leprosy provides an example of how disease has been used to stigmatize people for behaviors that do not accord with the given norms of any period. Lepers were banished to separate colonies because people feared that coming into contact with them would sicken others. Ironically, while leprosy is still feared, 95% of humans are immune to this particular bacterial infection. Furthermore, although leprosy was associated with immorality during the times of the Old Testament, the literature suggests that leprosy was not present among the populations that referred to it. In other words, bioarchaeological evidence has illustrated that leprosy did not impact people outside of India until the conquests of Alexander the Great, which occurred over 1,000 years after the times of the ancient Israelites. To be sure, as explained by Grybowski and Nita, 2015, p. 1, the disease or diseases described under this name have no relationship to leprosy, as it was known in the Middle Ages or today. Leprosy has a long evolutionary history that extends some 100,000 years into the past. Like other diseases that remodel bone, leprosy exhibits very specific clinical features or biomarkers on skeletal remains. The cranium and its facial bones are often affected by leprosy causing complete loss of the nasal spine and maxillary teeth, maxillary bone absorption in addition to similar changes in the nasal aperture. See Figure 1.1. Figure 1.1, Facies leprosa. In addition to bone absorption and remodeling of the cranium, classic features associated with leprosy involve bone absorption in an individual's hands and feet. These changes cause the metacarpals to exhibit a distal spindle effect, eventually causing the loss of one's fingers and toes. Figure 1.2, distal bone absorption causing characteristic loss of figures and toes associated with mycobacterium leprae infection. Importantly, the bioarchaeological record has not revealed skeletal remains that exhibit features that are associated with the bacterial infection that causes leprosy in areas outside of India such as the Middle East, Asia Minor, North Africa, or Europe before the 4th century BCE. As discussed by Donahue et al. 2005, clear evidence of leprosy is first birthed outside of India in Egypt's clay oasis and is though to have migrated with the Hellenistic expansion under Alexander the Great, See figure 1.3 for the location of the Declay Oasis. As for the presence of leprosy in the Holy Land, the earliest evidence dates to the 9th century CE, Popowich, 2018, Roberts and Manchester, 2007. Figure 1.3, Location of Declay Oasis in Egypt. If leprosy was not present in areas Africa, the Middle East or Europe prior to the 300s of the Common Era, what was the disease that ancient people called leprosy? First, ancient populations did not call the disease in question leprosy. Ancient texts such as Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Exodus called the disease Zarath, also spelled Zarat, in Hebrew. For example, as pointed out by Brown, 1975, during the 4th century in Alexandria, the word lepra was used to distinguish leprosy from elephantiasis. When Jewish scriptures were translated into Greek in Alexandria, Zarath was mistranslated into leprosy, Popowich, 2018, 128 to 129. As for what the ancient Hebrews observed, while the true nature of the condition is not certain, Zarath, which means appealing surface, is consistent with conditions such as psoriasis, dermatitis, scabies, and scarlet fever, to name a few. Gerzabowski and Nita, 2016, Popowich, 2014. Recent excavations have discovered the earliest no case of leprosy in the bioarchaeological record. 
Bioarchaeological analysis absolute dates the remains to approximately 2,500 Yup in Balathal, India, earliest date 2,000 Yup as cited by Robbins, Tripathi, Misra, Mohanty, et al., 2009. As explained by Robbins, Tripathi, Misra, Mohanty, et al., 2009, discussion, Pilkro 1. While it has long been thought that leprosy originated in the Old World, less is known about the origin and prehistoric transmission routes for leprosy than other related infectious disease. Our evidence supports Sanskrit translations of the Atarva Veda that reference leprosy and supports the suggestion that this ancient text is the earliest historical reference to the disease, its pathogenesis and treatment. Figure 1.4, Suspected Origins of Leprosy, Balafal, India Given the unique features associated with leprosy, the authors conclude that the individual from the Balathal burial provides the earliest confirmed evidence for leprosy. Moreover, within the Vedic tradition, originated in written form circa 1600 BCE, such individuals were buried alive rather than cremated because a diseased body and not considered an appropriate sacrifice to the Hindu gods. And, a biological evidence here indicates that similar mortuary behavior for people with leprosy was present. By the beginning of the second millennium BCE, Robbins, Tripathi, Misra, Mohanty, et al., 2009, Discussion, Pilkro 3. Keeping this in mind, a connection between the written Veda texts and the existence of Vedic doctrines, as earlier oral traditions, has been correlated through burial evidence. As such, not only has bioarchaeological analysis established the earliest known case for leprosy, but it has used the burial and its context to gain a better understanding of the, the culture of Chalcolithic, Copper Age, peoples in India some 4,000 years ago. Malaria Malaria has an evolutionary history that can be traced back some 5 million years ago when plasmodium mutated into a variant that could infect early hominins in Africa, Popowich, 2018a. As explained by Salers, Bauman and Anderung, 2004, the infection persisted, while some groups of people developed biological adaptations that may have reduced mortality. Livingstone, 1957, many modern humans grappled with the infection 100,000 years ago in Africa. Early evidence for malaria is derived from a condition referred to as porotic hyperostosis and cribra orbitalia. In particular, porotic hyperostosis is a condition, characterized by spongy porous appearance, that affects bones in the neurocranium, for example, parietal bones, whereas cribra orbitalia in a condition, characterized by lesions and remodeling, that affects the portion of the frontal bone that forms the superior aspect of the orbits. While these conditions are related to dietary, metabolic, and hereditary diseases, for example, anemia, thalassemia, sickle cell anemia, they are also a consequence of a malarial infection. Figure 1.5, parotic hyperostosis, A, in cribra orbitalia, B, credit, cages, Jaeger, Lirio, Rodriguez underscore Carvalho, et al., 2018. Bioarchaeological evidence has revealed that malaria became a serious problem in Egypt 5,000 years ago. For example, Mesa, Chiruti, and Savoya, 2000, as cited in Popowich, 2018, have concluded that 42% of ancient Egyptian mummies provide evidence of malarial antigens in bone and tissue samples. In fact, one of the most well-known Egyptian pharaohs, King Tutankhamun, had malaria. The problem with simply examining bones for conditions such as parotic hyperostosis is that the condition can be caused by other factors such as diet and may not necessarily be an indicator of malaria. Parotic hyperostosis provides direct evidence of iron deficiency, which can be related to nutrition, heredity factors, or malaria. Here, post-processualism would point out that the evidence is therefore interpretive. 
Eventually, malaria made its way out of Africa and into Mediterranean civilizations. Excavations at Lugnano, Italy have provided a timeline for the movement of malaria into the Mediterranean region. Because of advances in studying ancient DNA and the ability to extract DNA from the teeth of individuals discovered in ancient plague pits in the region, bioarchaeologists are able to conclude that the individuals sampled did suffer from massive malarial infections, and an objective fact can be established challenging the claims of post-processualism. Syphilis. Bioarchaeological research has been able to establish, for the most part, that the origins of syphilis can be traced to contact between European explorers and First Nation populations in the Americas during the 1400s. Syphilis, like some of the other diseases that impact hard and soft tissue, causes bone lesions. These treponymal lesions have not been discovered on pre-Columbian skeletal remains in Europe or other regions of the Old World. The lesions, however, have been observed on the remains of pre-Columbian skeletal remains in the New World. As for post-contact, after the 1400s, treponymal disease, syphilis, became epidemic through many regions in Europe. Figure 1.6, lesions associated with syphilis. Credit, welcome image. The evidence, then, provides insight into the migratory path of syphilis. While Europeans carried diseases that impacted the inhabitants of the New World, the exchange was not one way. Syphilis moved from New World populations to Old World populations as Europeans interacted with First Nations peoples and returned to the Old World. It is important to recognize that while syphilis was transmitted from New World to Old World populations, one cannot compare that event to the devastation that European diseases caused to First Nations peoples throughout the New World. Furthermore, while some of the infections occurred inadvertently, many diseases were spread purposefully by Europeans such as smallpox. Bubonic Plague The 14th century saw an outbreak of disease unlike any epidemic of bubonic plague in the past. Estimates suggest that the Black Death during 1347-1351 killed some 30-50 to 50 million people of the 80 million inhabitants of Europe. Aside from the significant mortality that the Black Death produced, which is verifiable through mortality bills and plague pit excavations, no one was really certain what caused the Black Death, then and in more recent times. Experts suspected that the Black Death was caused by a bacterial infection of Yersinia pestis, based on eyewitness accounts that recorded the characteristic buboes associated with the bubonic plague, but other accounts at the time sometimes described the condition differently. In other words, there was no clear consensus about the symptoms associated with those who became infected with the Black Death. In 2011, an evolutionary geneticist at McMaster University identified the causative agent of the Black Death by examining ancient DNA recovered from plague victims' teeth. In doing so, Hendrik Poinar and his team illustrated that the Black Death was owed to an outbreak of bubonic plague by identifying Yersinia pestis DNA from dental pulp. Figure 1.7, Plague Victim Mandible and Dentition, and Cross-Section Showing Dental Pulp. At the press release in Hamilton, I asked Dr. Poinar if he thought that bubonic plague was the only disease circulating given research on the relationship between CCR5 Delta 32 and accounts that suggested hemorrhagic-like infections, such as Ebola, for example. Guy de Choliac's reference to carbuncles appears to be more consistent with a hemorrhagic infection rather than bubonic plague. Poinar noted that his study shows at least one of the causative agents that led to the outbreak of the Black Death can be known with certainty. However, it cannot be concluded that it was the only causative agent. Keeping this in mind, further developments in the field of bioarchaeology, excavations, and genetic techniques that provide a deeper understanding may eventually illustrate that other diseases may have contributed to the explosive situation that took place during the 14th century. Similarly, 
Further excavations and testing may continue to reaffirm the widespread distribution of bubonic plague between 1347 and 1351.